wanted to say hi to all the listeners out there. This is Denise Parati Hummel, and I'm the CEO of Lead Inclusively. I'm incredibly excited to be with Chester Elton today. Chester and I know each other because we are both MG100s. For those of you who might not be familiar with the MG100 group, we are part of Marshall Goldsmith's legacy team. So Marshall is the number one executive coach in the country, and we have been humbled and honored to be the, the 100 who will move his legacy forward, make sure that stakeholder-centered training really um, um, has, has a life long after uh, Marshall leaves this earth uh, and, and paying it forward as Marshall always has. Um, I am so honored that my colleague has agreed to join me. He is uh, an incredibly charismatic human being. I'll never forget the first time that I uh, saw him, met him, I should say. He was actually on stage and he was, um, uh, to some extent, promoting his book, The Carrot Principle, which is, by the way, one of many books that he has written that have been so successful. And long story short, I'm not going to give it away, but was throwing uh, orange-stuffed carrots into the audience as he wore his typical enigmatic, that, that's right, orange, orange shirt that he's always uh, seen and known for. So uh, in, in general, uh, because my life's work involves inclusion and belonging and the connection between uh, inclusion and business performance, um, there's, there's really um, no one that I'd rather talk to uh, about this than Chester because he can connect so many of the business and leadership um, principles and performance issues associated with this work. So, um, Chester, I, um, I'm going to let you give your own uh, in introduction above and beyond what I've said, because I know you've had, you have so many accomplishments that if I tried to do it, we would be here for most of the podcast. So <laughs> let, me, let me turn it over to you. Well, thanks, Denise. Always fun to be with you. It really is an honor to be a part of that MG100 group and to pay it forward. Uh, Marshall is always so gracious with his time and talents uh, it's, it, the least we can do is be the same. Yeah, you know, just really simply, I, I, my wonderful co-author, Adrian Gostick, we've, we've authored five New York Times bestselling books together. We got uh, sold 1.6 million uh, copies of our books. We have translated into 30 languages. We're both uh, top 10 global gurus in, in culture and leadership. Engagely named us to their top 100 and the uh, engagement group out of London named us to their 101. What I love about that, Denise, is they don't rank you. They just put you in alphabetical order. And so yeah, Elton puts me near the top. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Nicely done. Yeah, Employee Engagement Institute. Anyway, it's, it's always fun. I, I always like to say that my the thing that I'm most proud of is that I'm the father of four exceptional children. Uh, all the more exceptional now that they've grown up and, and left home. So that's uh, that's my part. <laughs> we can love them from afar. That's right. I, you know, when I when when they're when they're here, I love them, and when they're gone, I have to admit I love them even more. It's because we miss them. Come on. There you go. Yeah. All right. Well, listen. I know that um, that you've written so many different books and I have a feeling in the course of this little podcast interview that you'll be able to weave in the different concepts, um, you know, for everything from some of the books that I've already read to, to, to your upcoming books. So, so feel free to, to do that. But um, um, at the moment, what I, what I want to do is ask you something relatively specific if you're okay, because we, we have this um, inclusion virtual coach app 
Um, and, and in it, there are five different uh, areas where we feel that leaders can embed inclusion on their teams. And one of those areas is hiring. Um, and, and so just in a nutshell, um, diversity and inclusion is the focus of bringing together diverse individuals and talents and empowering diverse teams to innovate at their highest level, right? And at the end of the day, um, this comes down to all team members feeling comfortable bringing the best versions of themselves and feeling comfortable freely contributing their ideas. So harnessing inclusion starts on day one of the employee life cycle and onboarding provides the platform from which much of the employee experience is based on. Uh, and I know I'm, I'm sort of preaching to the choir, but I wanted to get your feeling about why the onboarding process is so important. Uh, and I know that you speak a lot about, you know, speed to productivity and all those very, very um, significant issues associated with um, the best teams. So can you shed some light on why onboarding is so important? Well, sure. You know, it's really interesting. I, I will say, you know, literally yesterday I was in Florida with a large um, you know, healthcare group, lots of hospitals, you know, 40,000 employees and so on. The question came out, what's the biggest responsibility of leaders? What's the number one attribute that leaders need to have and, and, and their, their greatest responsibility? And time and time again, it came in and said their greatest responsibility is culture. That, that's one of the few differentiators left. We can never have too many good leaders. Clearly, that'll always be a differentiator. And the other one is culture because it's so hard to replicate. Well, when you think about hiring and bringing people in, you know, more than anything, uh, the leaders need to make sure they have that cultural fit. You know, and that all starts in the interview process, in the onboarding process, in the mentoring process. Because if you don't have that cultural fit, you don't get the productivity you need. And, and to your point, uh, we like to call it speed to productivity very, very simply because in such a mobile workforce, in, 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 a, in a world where you've got so much diversity, you've got so much difference in, in cultural backgrounds, whether it be, you know, your, your language, your location, your food, your, your economic background, your, your social background, this idea of, of leaders being able to, to take advantage of that, make the right hire, get people in place so that they can be productive so much faster. Because as you well know, you don't have employees, you know, from cradle to grave anymore. You know, this idea of, you know, the mailroom to the, to the boardroom. I mean, it's just, it just doesn't happen anymore. You're going to have people for two, three, maybe four years. If you can extend that to five or six where they're really engaged and productive. Great. Old school was you had about a year to get people up and running. You know, new school is, yeah, you, you got about, you know, three, four, five hours. <laughs> Tops, right? Oh so this, this, this whole idea of making sure that we've done our homework up front, we know exactly who we're getting. We know exactly how they fit. We've, we've taken the time to make sure we've got that right cultural fit. It's more important now than it ever has, just simply because of the speed and the diversity and the cultural differences at work. Would you agree? Yes, absolutely. I mean, and, and it's, it's a two-sided thing, so I'd like you to speak to both sides. So, of course, one side is you want this new individual to understand what this culture stands for and to fit in with the organizational culture, to, to, you know, to the extent that it's feasible and, and, and productive to do so, um, and, and to understand the values of the organization and to 
um, you know, to, to be in tune with that. But on the flip side, too, as leaders um, onboarding people, we also want to create that sense of belonging from the beginning so that they start off feeling really good about this and don't let, you know, some of the baggage or emotional issues of integrating into a new culture get in the way of hitting the ground running. So what are some of the ways um, as leaders that we can um, help uh, the people that we're onboarding to, 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 to successfully integrate and feel like they belong? You know, a, a couple of tracks. Um, you know, first, I think you've got the first time job employee. In other words, you're, you're hiring them right out of biz school, you're hiring them right out of university, whatever that might be. And this is where I find that internship programs have become so incredibly valuable. You know, it's the test drive, right? You've got a chance to, whether they're remote employees or whether you're actually bringing them to your location. You know, I've had uh, a couple of my kids go through that where they've interned. And that is such a valuable time and such an valuable process of really getting to know somebody, how they work, how they relate over a fairly extended period of time. Right. So when you've, when you've got the opportunity to do the internship route, now you don't always, I think that's where you really can take your time. The second track is you're hiring someone away or you're hiring someone who's coming back into the workforce, whether it's from maternity or paternity leave or, or whatever. There you don't have as much of an extended period of time. And so when you think of some of the best, best practices, this idea of making sure that whatever team they're going to be a part of, that that team has a say in the hire, that there are all these touch points. You know, old school was the, the manager would go out or the, you know, the, the supervisor, the VP, whatever. They'd find this great talent and say, wow, what a great addition. And they'd go ahead and make the hire. And then it was up to the team to adjust to whoever that was that was coming in. Right. Those dynamics were very dicey. You know, someone might come in kind of with this Messiah complex. Yes, they came and got me. They paid a premium. Aren't you lucky that, you know, I'm here, I'm here. Let the bells ring and the banners fly. Um, right. As opposed to really making sure that the team has a say. Often your team can see potential or uh, potential, you know, problems long before you will because you're sort of blinded by the light. You know, you find right. this incredible talent. Right. So this idea of including the team into the, the, the hiring process. Now, once you've hired that person, I, I find that if you don't assign them um, a mentor, if you don't assign them someone that you, you feel like they've got a rapport with, where they can ask the stupid questions without feeling stupid, <laughs> you know, that, that relationship becomes really, really important. You know, um, Amy Edmondson out of the Harvard School of Business has written a lot on psychological safety in the workplace. And, you know, never do we feel more psychologically vulnerable than when we've started a new job. Yeah. And so how do you mitigate that? C clearly having a friend, having a mentor, having a, this safe place becomes such a key part of, of onboarding and making sure that transition is smooth, it's safe, and, and it's productive. What, what have you seen that you pass on? Well, I, I, you know, it's funny because my, my mind is kind of, you know, the wheels are turning. One of the things that, that occurred to me when you speak is that, you know, oftentimes um, uh, organizations will, or leaders even, will use the term culture fit 
um, as as sometimes as as a as a, a means of discrimination and 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 culture fit is not always a good thing. Uh, you have you have cultures that are innovative, but you have cultures that are not. You have cultures that are closed versus open. You have cultures that are respectful versus you know a little bit too edgy, um, uh, and everything in between. And you know to some extent we have to be open to the to the newness or the nuances or the optimizations that new people bring to the culture. Um, and there's, there's just this awareness go, that has to go on on both sides of pulling in from new people the, the, their freshness and newness that may actually be an advantage to us, even though it's not a culture fit. And likewise, the awareness and the, the, the key observation skills that we have to have when we're new coming into an organization in order not to step on our own feet. So one thing that occurs to me when I, when, uh, when my first business was acquired by Ernst & Young and I came in as a direct admit partner and I might have had a little bit of that I'm all that thing going that you mentioned. You, know, you made a lot of money for me sort of thing when you said that it made me laugh. But um, one of the things that I didn't do well, which was surprising because I was leading a division called uh, Culture, Inclusion and Innovation, ironically, but because I was in my own sort of, as you said, emotional funk, I'll just call it, of adjusting into this new environment, 300,000 person organization from being, you know, an entrepreneur. I, my observation skills and my ability to really sort of take in my surroundings while I was onboarding was not what it should be. And so for example, um, it took me a full six months to realize that I was a direct communicator in an indirect communication organizational culture. And, you know, and whereas I value the fact that I'm a direct communicator, it was really rubbing people the wrong way. And I didn't know that. And I don't know what it was. It might have been like the sixth hint that I got in six months <laughs> that finally made me realize, okay, you may value this, but do you value it enough to you know, burn bridges before it's even started? Maybe you could just observe more and be quiet more and then be your direct self once you've actually made friends and influenced people. So I don't know how you feel about that, but it was just a thought that came to mind. You know, clearly, uh, ego plays a big part in all of this on both sides, right? You say, <laughs> look, you know, and, and, and you've got to find ways to check that. You know, I, you, you, you may think you're all that, and the problem is you're the only one that thinks that. And that yeah. Um, yeah. I like to get down to the basics. You know, we, we, we've been studying culture for just over 20 years now. And, and I, I love the definition of really a healthy or what we call an all-in culture is that I, I believe what I do matters. I make a difference. And when I make a difference, someone notices it and, and celebrates it. So right from the beginning, like you talk about cultural nuances, I think it's really important to have those upfront, you know, safe conversations about what is it that we do that really matters? You know, um, you deal in healthcare, and sometimes it's very easy to connect the dots. You know, uh, people want to be helped; they don't want to be hurt, right? They want you to, to to cure them. They want they want their 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 health, their mobility, whatever it might be, back. And so, a lot of times in some industries, it's very easy to connect the dots, and in others, not so much. So, we we talk about having uh, upfront and and very early on for new hires what we call aspirational conversations. And they're very simple. They don't take a long time, you know, and I think it's really the out, outcrop of, of Silicon Valley. You know, they, they looked at these annual reviews and said, wow, those don't, 
seem to be very productive. You know, we we set goals in January and then we check back with you sometime around mid-December to see how you're doing. No one particularly wanted to do them. They, they checked the box because HR made them. Mm-hmm. And so you have these ideas of check-ins and, and we've labeled them aspirational conversations where you, where you have some very simple questions you ask on a regular basis. And I think it's particularly helpful for new hires. When we, we say, look, um, where do you want to be three to five years from now? You know, share your aspirations with me. How can we partner to help you grow and develop? You know, Denise, uh, we, we have this wonderful online assessment called the Motivators Assessment. And one of the real values to understanding not just who people are and, and what they're good at, understanding what they're passionate about allows you to job sculpt and, and to plan a career path that is, is not just speaking to their capabilities and experiences, but to their passions. Right. As you well know, when you're doing something you're passionate about, you can overcome obstacles, you can gather resources because it's, 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 it's your calling, you know. It's, yeah, that, that speaks not just to your head, to your heart. And so simple questions like, where do you want to be two to three years from now? Uh, what do you think your, your best contribution to the team has been over the last, you know, 30 days or 60 days, you know. Yeah, that's um, awesome. That yeah. is, and it's, I mean, especially in the onboarding process, because let's face it, that first 90 days is, is, is the critical part of integration. And if someone is actually checking in with you, asking you how it's going, asking you where, where you want to be, showing an interest, you know, acting as an ally, I mean, talk about inclusion, that's over the top. Not to mention the impact on productivity, right? Exactly. And coming back and checking back on a regular basis, you know, and to your point that, you know, everybody's got to innovate. If you're not innovating, you're dying, right? And this idea of, have you got some great ideas? What have you done in other places you've worked that you found work well that we might have application here? Right. Asking for that input, you know, often when we look at employee engagement, uh, one of the questions that's asked is, is my voice heard? Well, if you've created this safe space on a regular basis and I'm asking for your voice, I'm asking for your, your input, what does that do for you as a new employee? Wow, you know, uh, what I do matters. You're connecting yeah, right. the dots. And then this idea always, and you mentioned it earlier about, you know, our, our metaphor of the carrot, um, <laughs> the simple little acts of gratitude that I think that, you know, good leaders do from time to time extraordinary leaders it's it's a part of their culture and and i don't mean that every time you show up there's a brass band and confetti and you know the indoor fireworks going up those simple little words of encouragement that you that you and i got from our best leaders and mentors they noticed that you put in the extra effort they they maybe dropped you a note there was maybe a little something that showed up at your house for your family because you you worked three weekends uh in a row um that Don't, never happened to me, but okay. yeah, 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 I'm yeah. glad to know it's out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and, and, and I love, I love those, 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 I like to call them random acts of kindness. Yep. You know, that, that means so much. We, we, we wrote about in our, in our book, The Best Team Wins, where we talk specifically about this speed of productivity. Um, Chris Hatfield, the commander of the International Space Station, and, uh, you know, he had three cosmonauts, two American astronauts, he being Canadian, and I grew up in Canada, so very proud of Chris Hadfield. Most people don't know that Canada has astronauts. We've had three, okay, so back off. Um, and then 
this whole idea of for five months, they'd had this incredibly productive, one of the most productive, if not the most productive five months in the International Space Station and asking him, how did you do that? He, he gave some really wonderful hints, I think, to, 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 to those that are listening to this, this segment. He said, you know, we knew each other's stories. Isn't that interesting? Yes. So we, 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 yes. knew, we didn't stalk each other. We knew each other's right. stories. We, right. we knew where we'd come from. We knew what our aspirations were. He said, you know, we ate together. We laughed together. We knew each other's families. He said, more than that, we were really smart. We knew what the rules of engagement were. Uh, being NASA, we're real smart, right? And then he said, more than anything, obeying all the rules, understanding how everything worked, it was the unwritten rule that made all the difference. Mm. And it was this that every astronaut had to perform a random act of kindness. Oh. Every other astronaut, wait for it, every day. It's every day. And so he said, you know, it was all in the messaging. He said, it was never anything big. You know, I'll help clean up. I'll do the calculations. Let me clean the instruments or, or whatever, right? right? He said, it was the message that was so important. Right. And, you know, you're on my team. I'm cheering for you. I care about you. I love you. And he, and he said, and here's the, the crux of the whole thing. He said, because of that, we never had a heated argument. No one ever had their feelings hurt. It, no one ever had to ram through their idea. You know, it was all about solving the problems and getting the work done. And when you think about a new hire coming into that kind of culture where you feel safe, where people are doing little things for you, you're doing little things. For, why wouldn't you give your best as fast as you could, as soon as you could to be a part of that team? I just love that story. You know, can I piggyback on that? Do you mind? No, uh, sure. So this this is just wonderful. Um, we when we um, developed the Inclusion Virtual Coach app, as I mentioned, we had these five areas where we knew that leaders could embed inclusion, but we also decided to um, have this you know these daily nudge messages that we were calling random acts of inclusion. And <laughs> when, when you think of it, um, you know, in, random acts of inclusion are in a sense random acts of of kindness you know maybe maybe not you know identical to that but you know I'm, you know i'll give you an example of a random act uh, of inclusion that comes up on the app is you know like when you're walking um down the hall today uh consider uh, making eye contact and giving a, a smile to someone that you don't know or don't know well now that's not exactly earth-shattering you know advice but you'd be surprised how little things like that create this very, you know, minute um, sort of, you know, movement or transition in a certain direction. I had I had never heard that story about the, you know, the the space station and 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 imagine being so involved in the day to day details operationally of survival, not to mention you know, space exploration and having the understanding of just how critical it is to maintain kind of this focus and unity, which was basically the organizational culture of the whatever, of the space station or whatever it was. Um, it's, it's important. And when you, when you look at books like The Power of Habit and other books that are, uh, and studies uh, on human behavior, it, it, it's really just a minor shift sometimes that can make such a significant um, change in, in an entire structure or organization. Isn't that true? Absolutely. You know, we, we talk about it's the little things. You know, and it's so basic, right? You go to a great restaurant, you say, what made it so great? You say, well, the food was always excellent. You know, they did the little things. 
they did the little things. Now, right. Denise, you'll, you'll, you'll find this a lot of fun. We, we've been taking a deep dive. You know, our, our, our expertise is in culture, right? right. And right. underneath culture, of course, you have leadership, you have teams, you have engagement, and, and you have what we like to call the carrot culture or this culture of gratitude. Mm. So interesting as we, as we took a deep dive on leadership, we said, well, what are the, what are the differences between the, the good and the truly extraordinary leaders? And we said, you know what? Uh, their hard skills were always good, good enough, sometimes very, very good. Mm-hmm. The difference was always their soft skills. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Tell, tell, tell us more about like, cause you, cause you keep mentioning the carrot and the gratitude, but most people do not necessarily um, equate carrots with gratitude. So it might be good to explain to them a little bit about that. Yes, well, you know, the, the work that Adrian and I uh, started to do in culture in particular was, was around employee recognition. And we really found that when people felt valued and, and appreciated, good things happened. You know, they stayed longer, they, they gave you their good ideas and, and so on. As we took a deeper dive, we realized that, you know, when you didn't get the culture right, the recognition didn't matter. And the recognition is very simple. We, we talk about, look, somebody does something great, you notice it and you say thank you. We use the metaphorical carrot, you know, more carrots, less sticks, right? right. And as we looked at leadership skills, we said, look, the soft skills were always the differentiator. You know, we, we just wrote a wonderful article talking about the, the, the future of leadership is soft. You know, it's all about soft skills. Right. And of all the soft skills we looked at, number one in those soft skills was the leader's ability to express sincere gratitude. Mm-hmm. Isn't mm-hmm. that fascinating? Yeah, and I could see that um, also, I always say empathy is the new, you know, micro-competency because I think the, gra- the gratitude, uh, sort of gratitude, empathy, vulnerability, these are all skills that are not easy for, you know, for people who have worked their whole lives to be heavy hitters or, you know, to, to be leaders, to be able to actually understand that those soft skills matter is, you know, in a sense, yeah. It's, it's interesting. I love to say that gratitude is the first step towards empathy. Right. You know, and the great philosopher Cicero said that gratitude was the mother of all other, of all other uh, uh, attributes, you know, positive attributes. All the, it all starts with gratitude, you know. Yeah. Okay. So let me, um, let me, I want to ask you at least one more uh, question from one of these different areas of where we can impact uh, inclusion in business. And then I also want to save some time to wrap up because I want, I do want to hear about your upcoming book. I can't wait until it comes out Uh, and then maybe end with uh, just a a little bit of news about lead inclusively before we sign off. But Basically, so the area that I want to talk to you about is is related to strategy and planning, and I have a few notes on this. Um, so leaders often make strategic decisions based solely on traditional factors such as financial and business impact. Being inclusive can help you to avoid future roadblocks by understanding how the decision impacts all stakeholders. So this particular section of the app helps leaders to focus on the big picture, you know, the big picture impact of strategic decisions and how bias impacts um, the leader's ability to make those decisions. So I wanted to hear a little bit from you about what your recommendations are um, in terms of the way leaders conduct their decision-making process to make sure that they are actually thinking about the big picture thinking about 
all the stakeholders, their decision will impact. And not just thinking about, let's say, you know, if you're in sales, you're thinking about revenue and your numbers, or if you're in operations, you're thinking about safety, all of which is, you know, all these things are incredibly um, important. But how do leaders consider all stakeholders so that they can make a decision that is as big picture oriented as maybe the details they're concerned with? Well, I, I think more than anything, you, as a leader, you need to understand what, what it means to be a stakeholder. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I think if you really understand who your stakeholders are and what that really means, uh, that's the awareness you need to make sure that as you're making decisions that you've taken into account what it's going to mean to the team, what it's going to mean to your clients and customers. You know, I, I, I love leaders that really are sensitive is maybe uh, too uh, sensitive of a word <laughs> we, we might say, but you know, when you, when you take a look and say, how is this really going to impact the team? And if you understand who your stakeholders are and you know your stakeholders well enough, I think it's easier for you to navigate that strategic map. You know, it's, it's so interesting. It really does. It always comes back to people. You know, we say this time and time and time again, it always comes back to people. So if your if your people skills are where they need to be, Mm-hmm. If you understand what it means to have a stakeholder on your team and the impact and the ripple effect that's going to be going to have, that is going to that is going to help you, you know, uh, create that roadmap, create that strategy that's that's inclusive, uh, that's sensitive. You know, more more and more, uh, Denise, I, I think leaders think that it's 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 all up to them. You know, I'm the leader. I've got to be the smartest person in the room. I've got to have the best ideas in the room. You know, my, my dad, who, you know, was my hero and, and I like to think my, my biggest cheerleader and coach, he'd say, look, you, Chess, you never want to be the smartest guy in the room. And he said, I, I, I've known you a long time now. Trust me, that's never going to be a problem for you. <laughs> Literally, there are no rooms that are out of bounds. You can walk in any room. You see a door, walk in, you'll be fine. Um, and, you know, he had a great sense of humor, I think. Anyway, he... Uh, you know, that, that, that idea of I don't have all the answers. I'm going to include my team. I'm going to include my stakeholders. Let's talk this through. I'm going to ask my team about the strategy. We're going to be inclusive on getting the best ideas uh, there, not just the ones that we think are politically expedient or trying to ram home your idea. I think a lot of it comes back to a understanding who your stakeholders are, what their stories are, what their passions are, what their talents are, and creating just an atmosphere of psychological safety. You know, I I, I love um, Gary Ridge, our good friend, who's the the CEO of WD40, where he talks about how safe it is to fail there. You know, that they, we don't have mistakes; we have learning opportunities. And I always love. I mean, he's not, he's not, as you know, um, for those of us who know him well, he's not kidding around. I mean, it really does feel safe there. Yeah. You know, I I was laughing with him. I said, you know, uh, failure is baked into the name of your company. You know, WD40 stands for those of you who don't know, although I know you all have a can, we all do at least one, right? Under the same. Yeah, water displacement 40th try. Mm-hmm. So the water displacement said, you know, they were making this formula literally in a bathtub, and it wasn't until the 40th version that they felt like, yeah, we, 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 we've got it. Yeah. So there were 39, you could say, mistakes. He'd say, no, those were 39 learning opportunities that got yeah. us to, opportunities to 40. success. Yeah, right? 100%. Let me ask- that's a great lesson for us to learn, you know, this safe to fail, psychologically safe, know your stakeholders, 
That's right. Strategy. You'll be That's fine. Fail as fast as you can and move on and try and try to make you know mistakes, but different ones next time. Uh, agreed. Let me ask you, in terms of strategy and decision making, what are your thoughts about transparency? Um, you know, transparency associated with those decisions as, as whether or not it's an important part of being a leader. I, I think it's critical. You know, old school was knowledge is power, and so I keep it tightly, you know. I, I love, you know, as we do our executive coaching, um, you say, look, you, th you, you think they don't know, they know. <laughs> Right. You might right. as well admit it up front. I mean, between glass door and the water cooler and, you know, all the different apps and so on, everybody knows what's basically going on anyway. Get, get out in front. I think transparency is key. We, we talk about in a healthy culture, you share everything. Now, there are those exceptions, and, and we're both familiar with those. You've got a merger and acquisition happening. There are certain things by law you can't share. And as long as you let your people know, look, I, I literally, I cannot share that with you. When the time is right, it'll all be revealed, right? Up until that point, ask me anything and I'll, and I'll let you know. Transparency is, is, the, is, is the cornerstone of trust in a relationship. You know, we, we don't have secrets. You know, we're, we're all in this together. Let's talk it through. Don't, no one has to be on eggshells around anyone else. Uh, transparency is the currency of trust. There's no question about it. And then the nice thing is too, when it comes to inclusion, that uh, we always encourage leaders to be transparent and to do that, uh, guess what? Your decisions have to be based on fact. They can't be based on cronyism. You can't be transparent if you're making decisions, for example, for a stretch assignment or a promotion or what have you, that is based on the fact that you happen to like or feel more of an affinity to one person than the other. So it, it, transparency also encourages, you know, really good um, thinking, strategic thinking um, and factual thinking about decisions and not allowing yourself as a leader to utilize your power for any reason other than what's in the best interest of your entire team and your entire company. Absolutely. You know, we're such a data-driven society anyway, right? And it always amazes me that uh, we love data. We don't remember it. We love the data, right? And the data gives you credibility. It's the stories that go along with. And, you know, when you talk about great leaders and you talk about your, your ability to, to be inclusive, I, I also think another great attribute of leaders is they're good storytellers. You know, they're transparent. They, they tell the story. I may forget the numbers. I won't forget the story. Right. And, and then the third step on that is, you know, as we implement the strategy, have we given everybody the tools to execute on the job? So I, 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 get, I get the basis of the data and why we're doing what we do. Tell me the story, paint the picture of how we're going to get there to the success, and then really draw the roadmap and give me the tools that say, and I've got the, all the training, all the tools, all the implements I'm going to need to, to really execute on that promise. And as we go along this journey, if we need more tools, if we need more data, it's available because we're having these transparent, open, and, and honest conversations. You know, who doesn't want to be a part of something like that, right? Exactly. So as we get to the end of our time together, um, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about what's, what's next for you. And, I, you know, I used to think that when I asked that question, it came across as, I don't know, self-aggrandizing or promotional. But I now realize um, that all we're trying to do um, in terms of our profession is to bring value to other people. And from what I understand from the little you've told me about your new book, 
it's going to bring a tremendous amount of value. So would you mind talking just, you know, to, speaking of transparency, to the extent that you can, um, you, you know, talking a little bit about what's, what's upcoming for, for Chester Elton. Gee, talking about our, our next project that we're incredibly passionate about. Yes, you can pry that out of me. Okay. <laughs> not, yeah. not a problem. Uh, again, it comes back to this, uh, this idea of gratitude. You know, when we wrote the carrot principle, this was, you know, back in, in uh, 2010 or 2008, um, we, we did, took a deep dive on recognition. And, I, and I'm still a huge believer that, that when you receive something, you get that token, whether it be the watch, the plaque or whatever, there's great power there. Right. Recognition uh, 2.0 or the carrot 2.0 really is gratitude. Um, it's that next step. It's sometimes recognition can come across as a little transactional. It's mm -hmm. event driven. Whereas gratitude is really, how do I feel every day about my work? And again, looking at the difference between good and extraordinary leaders, those soft skills, gratitude was number one. Our, our book is literally called Leading with Gratitude. And I think the timing is particularly good when you look at all the online bullying, when you look at the, the vitriol, the political discourse. Yeah. You know, you and I were at the, um, at the Singularity University there out in uh, Silicon Valley. And right. it wasn't lost on me that, you know, he said, look, 90% of your newsfeed is negative. I mean, that, you know, if it bleeds, it sells. Right. And, mm -hmm. and so, you know, as, as you're getting that feed through your phone, you think, oh, my gosh, you know, I should just go out and kill myself. You know, right. the world is going yeah. to hell in a handbasket. When in reality, it's never been a more exciting time to be alive. We've never been more engaged and privileged. And, you know, I was I was laughing that with my family is that I my, my two and a half hour flight from Tampa to, to Newark Airport last night turned into this eight and a half hour oh, you know, circle the airport, go to Dulles, refuel. And you, know, you can say, well, I can get really upset about that, except for the fact that I'm flying in the sky in a boat like a god. Right. <laughs> so right. this idea of being grateful and and, and we, we dispel the, the rumors or the myths around why people don't lead with gratitude. It's all about fear. It's all about compensation. Some of the best practices, the eight best practices of the greatest leaders. We interviewed Alan Mulally, who I know you've met. Who, Love uh, Gary Ridge is, is in our book and, and Whitney Johnson and, and of course, Marshall. Yeah, and this idea. And, and then lastly, what we're really excited about, and this was, was input from our publisher, HarperCollins uh, Books, which we're so honored to publish with, the third section is take it home. You know, of, of all the data points that we've ever garnered. And we have, by the way, a database of over a million engagement surveys now that we draw upon, is that when you're happy and engaged at work, you're 150% more likely to be happy and engaged in your personal life. So we love dispelling the myths. We love giving leaders the tools to lead with gratitude, create these wonderful cultures where people can be themselves, they can feel in, included, they can feel valued, and then take it home to the people that mean the most to you, whatever your family looks like, whether it's the traditional family or partnerships or extended families that, 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 that love you, you know, without condition and love you so well. How do you return that, uh, that love and that gratitude? And so we're, we're very excited about bringing kindness and, and gratitude back into the workforce. I was doing an interview the other day and, and the interviewer said, uh, well, what's one advice that you could give CEOs today just in a quick snapshot? And I said, you know, it's 
as a CEO, you know, it's okay to be kind. <laughs> it's it's yeah. really okay. There, there, and, there's, there's power in that. And, and it's good business, you know, as we look yeah. at the data going forward, when you're part of a, a, a culture that, that's kind, that these random acts of kindness, that, that people are inclusive, they feel valued. I believe what I do matters. I, I make a difference. And when I make a difference, it's, it's noticed, it's celebrated, you know. Those are the, the, the cultures that attract the best talent, that retain the best talent Agreed. and succeed. Agreed. And that's my story yeah. and I'm sticking to it. I love it. I love it. And I can't, and please promise us that the second that it's out, you'll let us know because we'd like to, you know, talk about it, blog about it, um, et cetera. So we'll look forward to hearing more. And I'll just share uh, a little bit of um, news with you too and talk, talk about this is an exciting time to be alive. I mean, I, you know, in my generation, not to, to age myself uh, or you for that matter, <laughs> But I mean, you know, the, the internet was, was, was not what it was, uh, did, didn't actually exist. <laughs> and, um, and I was, you know, somewhat of a stranger to, to technology and have always really been traditionally a late adopter. And it wasn't until uh, my experience at Ernst & Young where I really felt like they were extracting the, the IP, the intellectual property from my brain, like almost like there was a USB, you know, port in my ear that I realized the power of technology. And so with, um, with our diversity and inclusion methodology that we've been scaling you know, live and then ultimately asynchronously through a learning management system, et cetera, we finally have tackled the, 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 the last sticky problem of making that learning um, sustainable. And so um, we've developed, as I've mentioned, this, this inclusion virtual coach app uh, and, you know, we are basically using neuroscience to program business logic and an algorithm that will help leaders to practice inclusion and ultimately other leadership behaviors in real time. So it's very exciting. We were just yesterday accepted into the Microsoft startup portfolio, which is an incredible honor. Wonderful. Congratulations. Good for you. I, I just feel, uh, I mean, there's, it's like 1% in the country. I don't know what it is for women, but as you know, there aren't um, very many women owned technology firms. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm literally glowing. <laughs> and you were so saying our Cavelling. You're Cavelling. <laughs> that's right. Um, so that's our news on our side. And, and, and Chester, you're definitely a part of that. I, I, you know, to the maximum extent possible, I want, all of our listeners and, and absolutely all of our app users um, to he have the benefit of your expertise and knowledge and good humor and metaphors and stories. <laughs> so thank you so much. Yeah, just in, in, in closing, well, thank you for being so inclusive with me. You know, it's always, <laughs> always great to partner with uh, smart and uh, wonderful people like yourself. So I, I'm honored and congratulations again. That is so great, the uh, Microsoft 1%. Well thank, you. thank you for being happy for us. And, uh, and we hope to be a part of your success as well. And to all of our listeners out there, thank you for listening. Um, please feel free to comment and to give us some uh, feedback and interchange. Um, pick up um, uh, Chester's books, both the, uh, both the ones that exist and the one that is yet to come in the next few months. And we will look forward to, um, to seeing and speaking with you further. Thanks. And thank you, Chester. You bet. Cheers.